Hello and welcome to AQA 8, Agile Questions Answers, Episode 8. So today's question is, what is the reference data anti-pattern and why is it harmful to Agile? So to answer this question, first let's look at what the reference data anti So to answer this question, we first need to understand what the reference data anti-pattern means. So let's uh, take these things one at a time. So firstly, what's an anti-pattern? I've looked it up on Wikipedia. It says here on Wikipedia, an anti-pattern is a common response to a recurring problem that is usually ineffective and risks being highly counterproductive. So what happens is that you get these problems that arise all of the time, uh, certainly in product development, in software development, and people try and solve them in a certain way, and that way doesn't work, typically. Uh, so that's what an anti-pattern is. Um, the Wikipedia article goes on to say the term coined in 1995 by computer programmer Andrew Koenig was inspired by the book Design Patterns, which highlights a number of design patterns in software development that its authors considered to be highly reliable and effective. So anti-patterns was the kind of the flip side, the other side of the coin from Design Patterns, um, which is a book I read probably fairly soon after it came out in the 90s. Um, you don't hear an awful lot about Design Patterns now, but I think that that's mostly because the design patterns are embedded in the frameworks that a lot of developers use. So they don't particularly think that they're using design patterns, but they actually are. So we know what an anti-pattern is. It's a response to a, a problem which is usually harmful. So what's reference data? Again, I'm going to go to uh, Wikipedia. This is kind of a circular thing because I'm using reference data to describe reference data. Uh, so it says here, reference data is data that is used to classify or categorise other data. Typically, they are static or slowly changing over time. Now, it goes on to say, this is very interesting, reference data should be distinguished from master data. Um, and the way that it describes the difference is that reference data is kind of categories of things so it might be the kind of uh, customer that you have. You have a normal customer, you've got like a, you know, a, a new customer, you've got like a gold star customer then, and they're treated in different ways. And then um, master data is actually the individual customers that you have. What I'm gonna be talking about in this is actually I think a very common confusion. So places that I've seen, what they do is they confuse reference data and master data. So when they talk about reference data, they're actually kind of encompassing master data as well. And that causes its own problems because as it says here, typically reference data are static or slowly changing over time. Whereas master data can change quite, quite rapidly and quite often. And it's trying to put the same controls in for master data that you have for reference data, which is one of the reasons why this 
reference data anti-pattern can be so damaging. So we've got reference data. So this is um, you know, data that's used to describe other data and the anti-pattern, the bad solution to a common problem. So how do those two things work together? I'm going to describe a scenario now, uh, which I've made up out of my own head, and um, I'm going to try and stay away from being too technical, but it probably will be a little bit technical, uh, but hopefully I'll make it easy enough to understand. Say in the wake of Brexit, uh, you want to help uh, the fishing industry, which has been uh, quite um, severely damaged by uh, Brexit. Uh, by providing a new website where people can buy all sorts of different kinds of fish. Because in the UK, although we've got all these different species of fish in our waters, actually we don't eat many of them and most of them are, um, most of them are exported into the EU. If we could persuade people in the UK to eat more varieties of fish, then you know, we'd get a local market for those uh, species. We're going to create our website that will allow people to order the species of fish and um, then, you know, there's some going to be some systems in the back end which will enable us to take that order and then fulfil that order. So we'll have a warehouse somewhere and they will send the fish out to uh, the customer. We need a list of the different species of fish so that the user, the customer, can select which ones they want to buy and the easiest way to do this is uh, in the website page just to put a list of those fish and then the user can, can select it very very easy very quick to do and then what would happen is when the customer submits their order the fish that they've selected the species that they selected would just be sent to the uh, sales uh, system and it would be stored there and then it would be passed on to the other systems. Very easy. Turns out that's quite a bad idea and the reason that it's a bad idea is that if you just have the species of the fish or any piece of data in your web page it's really easy for a hacker to get in and then in between sort of you selecting the, the thing and then sending it they can change the nature of that data so they might change it to something which is trying to exploit your system and it might cause the system to crash that's really bad and a standard way of solving that problem is that whenever anyone sends something from a web page that's on your computer into a back-end system they will actually check it to make sure that it's still valid data and nobody has like hacked it. The way that you would do that in this case is you've got your list of uh, allowable species of fish on your web page, and you'll have the same list of species of fish in your sales system. Whenever anyone sends an order in, it will make sure that the, the, the species of fish is actually in the allowed list and it's you know it's not anything else and if it isn't it will throw it out and say there's been an error so that's good that solved that problem but now you've got two species of uh, you've got two lists you've got 
the list that's in the web page and you've got the list that's in the sales system. And whenever you add a new species, you've got two places to do it. Now, good developers are or should be very lazy. They want to do as little as possible to change. Whenever they need to add new functionality to a system, they want to do as little as possible. This principle is called don't repeat yourself or drive. Rather than having the list in two places, what they would do is typically you would create a file and that file has all of the different species of fish in it. And the file is used to create the list of fish in the website. And it's also used to check the um, order that's come in from the customer to make sure that it's still in that list of species of fish. So now we've solved our problem of having to update two places. We've just got one file to update. When you add a new species of fish, you would just add it to that file. Job done. However, the next thing you need to think about is after the sales, you've got the order processing system. That order processing system also has to have a list of fish because it needs to know which fish that you're ordering and where they are and so on. You could copy that file over into the order processing system, but then you've got two copies and you've got to keep them up to date. You know, you've got to make sure that the copying happens and it's all a bit complicated. The typical solution for that is that you create a system which all it does is it holds that list of fish species. And then when your website and your sales system want to know what the list of fish is, it will go to that, that place. And when the order processing system wants to um, get that list of fish, it will go to the same place. So now you've got a reference data service, or strictly speaking, a master data service, but most people call it reference data. That's really good because now we've got our web page, we've got our sales system, and we've got our order processing system. They're all using this single source of data. And then you can add the buying system so that I make sure that I can buy the, uh, the fish that I want. Uh, then you would add it to the stock control system so you know how many of each uh, species of fish you've got. And then you would add it to the, the management info. And all of a sudden, you've got several systems that are all dependent on this um, reference data service that we've created. So as time goes on, there's enough work in the reference data system, just maintaining it, and you know, because there's always updates that need to happen to new services and new things that happen, that we decide that it needs its own team to look after it. And this is where the trouble starts. What happens is because they've got five or six different services that they're trying to, you know, they've got requests coming in from all of these different services and they start drowning in the requests. So what they'll do is that they'll put in some kind of bureaucracy to control that. So they'll make you fill in a form and then there'll be some kind of meeting where the different requests from the different areas of the business get prioritized. And all of a sudden you're not agile anymore because instead of just adding a new species of fish, I've now got to fill in a form. I've got to wait for a weekly meeting where 
like my request gets considered against everyone else's request um, and instead of something that you know that would have taken like literally half an hour to do we've now got something that might take a couple of weeks to do and that's best case because your thing might not get prioritized and it might take months and another thing that tends to happen with uh, this kind of organizational um, architecture if you like is that you get this kind of cultural change so the team that is responsible for managing the reference data service they're not directly providing value and i think that there's a kind of unease about that so what happens is that they start to regard the management and curation of reference data itself as being really important you know and they go out to the organization and say you need to manage this kind of data in this way and we are the experts in doing it and if you've got any kind of lists of anything we need to take control of it and then you can use our services and they're trying to take more and more control of more and more data around the organization and centralize that control and subject all of that control to their own bureaucracy and gradually if allowed to continue unchecked the whole organization is now beholden to the reference data service i've kind of seen this um, when i was at the british library um, the cataloging department uh, which was over 400 people out of uh, you know total staff of 2000 people at the british library they had a tremendous amount of power within the organization um because they said well cataloging an item in a library is like the most important thing that you can do and of course it isn't allowing people access to the information they need in an easy and timely manner is actually the most important thing that you can do not putting an entry in a catalog it's a kind of a secondary activity that enables the first you end up with this situation where you had something which was very very agile and you know the first few uh, moves were solving problems you know they were trying to reduce the amount of change that people had to do which makes it safer and more robust and quicker and then all of a sudden you're in this situation where everything's really really slow because you've got this bureaucracy around making any changes to this data at all that's the reference data anti-pattern described and you can see how it affects Agile. So what are some solutions? I can think of a couple. Let's think of an example of a kind of change that you might want to make um, and how we might do that in a way where we still get the advantages of having centralized reference data, but we don't have the disadvantage of all this kind of bureaucracy and control around it. When we look at fish and our fish selling website, one of the things that's interesting is that there are lots of local names for different fish. I mean, one that you can easily think about is um, Longestine. Longestine are called, also called Dublin Bay Prawns. They're also called Scampi. They're also called Norwegian Lobster. And that just depends in what part of the country or what part of Europe that you're from they are the kind of local names and then you know and if you wanted people to order based on the thing that they know then you want to have all of those names on your website 
once you get into the back end, nobody cares. It's just one name, you know, the canonical name, which I think is Norwegian Lobster. That's the name that you want to refer to it to. It's only on the front end that it matters. How can we resolve this kind of issue where the front end wants these uh, different names for the same species, but um, it all has to map to a single canonical name, um, you know, when it comes through to all the order fulfillment? I think there's two ways of doing it. The one would be um, to allow the team, any team, to change the reference data service, but then put in place a kind of monitoring where the acceptance of that change was just done by a small team of people. This is necessary because you don't want people messing up, you know, the solution and breaking it in horrible ways but it still allows that kind of flexibility. If you really need to dive in and do something, you can, and you can create your own version and then that can get merged in and become the master version and so on. So this is really kind of the open source model. This is the way that open source software works. You know, anyone can submit a change to an open source software product. And then there's a kind of small number of people who will look after that product and make sure that it's uh, modified in certain ways so only certain changes will be accepted some will be sent back with you know suggestions for modifications and some will just be outright rejected that's one way of doing it the other way that i can think of is to use a design pattern funnily enough and this pattern is called the decorator pattern we've got our reference data service for species of fish and it's got all of the canonical names of the species of fish and what we want to do is then put uh, in place something which has all of the local names for the different species of fish. So what we would do is create a service that has those local names in and then it calls through to the reference name. So it kind of decorates the information that's on the reference data without changing it. And so it's a quite a nice pattern because the website is just calling this new service, which is sitting in front of the reference data service. And as far as it's concerned, there's no change. It's just getting this different layer, uh, list of stuff back with more items on it. And then the reference data at the back hasn't changed either. So, um, you know, things can pass through. And then of course, if somebody else cares about local names for fish, maybe they're going and buying fish at the local market so they need to know what the local names are then they can use this decorated service instead of the, uh, the instead of the reference uh, reference data service and maybe things will get merged in you know so that the new uh, names for the fish the local names for the fish uh, become part of the uh, master data set that's the two ways that I can think of it's like the open source model and the decorator design. Uh, I'd love to know if you can think of any other ways of doing that. I'd also like to know whether you think that reference data is really an anti-pattern um, or any other you know comments that you have. So I'm going to be sharing this over the normal stuff, Twitter, LinkedIn, and so on. So if you've got any comments, you can feedback by any of those mechanisms and I'll do my best to answer you. I hope that's been interesting. 
Um, I'm going to do another one of these in the near future. So uh, if you like that, please uh, subscribe, pass it around your friends and colleagues, and uh, I will speak to you again soon.